Hi guys, I'm here with um, Arvind Ratna. He's a very good friend, but also a very accomplished management professional. Uh, he's from MIT Sloan, but he has held various positions all the way from NASA to his latest startup in AI. And he has amazing insights on innovation and framework. Not all founders have it. I pursued a career in scratch. And these problems, they are uh, framing them. It's seen as the new CEO. Uh, after about 20 months, 20 months at, uh, at AI and kind of work, kind of marries both. Yeah, uh, strategy, engineering. Welcome, Arvind. Thank you. Uh, so, Arvind, tell me a little bit about your journey, your career, you know, how you uh, moved from uh, your uh, background in physics and now you are in AI startups and VR startups. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I started uh, started off wanting to be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. um, until someone convinced me that I should become an engineer in case <laughs> astronauts get endangered uh, uh -huh. because of science funding or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still pursued my dream. Uh, st I started my career with the Indian Space Program, then moved to NASA. I was there for two years, mm -hmm. built a box that eventually made it out to the space shuttle. It actually flew. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. And I earned my master's in space science at Florida um, mm -hmm. You know, while doing so. I uh, ended up you know, I was very much a scientist back then. Mm -hmm. I ended up doing working on lasers, pretty high-powered ultraviolet lasers. High-powered lasers. Mm -hmm. um, and I pursued a career in engineering. And as you sort of grow up uh, you, within that space, you know, you you're an engineer, senior engineer, staff engineer, whatever it is. You start to realize that uh, that you are very narrow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and you also start to see other people in your field um, uh, who do different functions, etc. And so since I'm a naturally curious person, it piqued my interest that, hey, you know, why don't I go uh, see what the world outside is like? And also the world that I was operating in was a fairly narrow domain, semiconductor capital equipment. Mm -hmm. So I, it was at that point where I decided to go to business school. Um, so I didn't want a plain vanilla MBA because that had too many Wall, Wall Street connotations or, or whatever. And that's held true uh, to the most part, and I, I don't know if MBAs are, are favored uh, really now, but uh, but anyway, I I did want business education. I ended up at this program at uh, MIT. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was a dual degree between the Sloan MBA program uh, and the engineering systems program. So mm -hmm. the, it's called system design management. It tells you how to uh, manage very complex systems together. It could, these mm -hmm. could be socio-economic systems it could be big nuclear reactors big you know big engineering well, problems but at the end of the day an interdisciplinary science where you're merging the art of engineering science with with business practices mm -hmm. and and thinking uh, thinking systems mm -hmm. um, so i mean this is where i met people like jay forrester and peter senji who wrote mm -hmm. the fifth fifth discipline mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, at, at MIT, we also had the benefit of uh, being able to cross-register at Harvard. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got I had the good fortune of uh, rubbing shoulders with, with Clay Christians and Michael Porter awesome. and a few other great guys out there. Wow. Pankaj Kinavat, who wrote, you know, who's, who did some of the groundbreaking work on global strategy, etc. And then after uh, my business program, you know, going to consulting sort of seemed natural. Um, so I did uh, strategy consulting work initially at uh, the Deloitte uh, tech strategy practice and then, even, and then uh, for the boutique uh, called IBB, which eventually got bought out by another strategy, uh, big, big, big shop. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, consulting was great. Uh, lots of problems, lots of different industries. Um, I got burned out <laughs> at the end. Of, <laughs> so in consulting, you either you know learn what you need to and get out, or you make it to partner, and uh, and you know and that's how it works there. And so I decided to get out, and I went to Intel. Uh, Intel had bought this company called Wind River. It was a billion dollar uh, company, yeah. mm -hmm. and and I had the opportunity to lead corporate strategy there. I did that for two years, uh, and corporate strategy, uh, in my opinion, is a bit of an ivory tower. Mm -hmm. You are advising various lines of businesses. You are being the smart guy in the room. Mm -hmm. um, but I did, then I, at the, it was at that point of time that I said, okay, it's. I think all of that is great, uh, but I wanted it to be more real. I wanted to run a PNL. I wanted mm -hmm. to go run a business. I transitioned to one of the business units that we had, which was uh, the automotive unit, and I became head of products. The thing is, when you transition from being a consultant to strategy to product management, there is a there's a there's a small shift that happens because in when you're running product, mm -hmm. um, the goal is not to be the smart guy in the room, but the mm -hmm. goal is to facilitate the right conversations and facilitate a common vision between mm -hmm. all of the different between engineering and between uh, it's a product in product in, in, in product mm -hmm. because if you ever make the mistake of being the smart guy in the room mm -hmm. you know you're not no one's <laughs> going to listen to you and i made that i made that mistake in my first job but then uh, the the latest uh, the, the I, I moved to ai after the, the in, after three and a half four years at intel, at intel. and uh, ai makes a very very cool lidar solution for autonomous driving um, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a camera lidar fusion and I ran, you know, I uh, took on the role of product for the for the entire company. And I, mm -hmm. at some point of time, I had 15 to 20% of the whole company reporting to me. Uh, and it was in that role where I, I discovered a lot of things um, that, a, that a product head needs to do effectively in order mm -hmm. to facilitate the right, right conversations, etc. Mm -hmm. So, now, you know, recently I joined Phantom Auto about mm -hmm. after about 20, month, 20 months at, uh, at AI. And Phantom Auto has a again in the autonomous driving space. I've been in the in the autonomous okay. driving space mm -hmm. for about four years now. Mm -hmm. So in you know in this job, I'll be taking all the learnings, all the mistakes that I've made in the past. <laughs> and look, I mean, everyone's a work in work in progress, and so am I. Uh, long way to go, but hey, I've learned a few lessons in life. Sure. But where I am today, when I look back at my career is is i've done engineering work i've worked in super large companies but also super small companies mm -hmm. uh done a lot of strategy work uh done engineering work and now now i'm doing product work which kind of marries both yeah uh, strategy etc. engineering product product yeah i mean mm -hmm. i still have the instincts of a strategist uh which is which is, good, very, which is very good in some situations mm -hmm. uh but um, but not so great in other situations and which mm -hmm. i will i will tell you and so the ideal entrepreneurial mindset be, needs to be able to combine all of these uh, all of these mindsets and more and more I've come to realize with more experiences mm -hmm. is it's the softer elements of your of your um, skill set that matter uh, that's awesome. that matters that's more, an awesome more than anything else you, yeah. you you can you can talk frameworks you can talk uh, techniques tools to all the you know all day but what really matters is are you able to get the job done in an effective effective manner? It's really human-to-human -human communication that gets the job done. Okay. Well, right now, I'm a product professional. A product professional needs to be able to um, uh, facilitate conversations. He's kind of the product guy is seen as the mini CEO. Yeah. If you look at what product management does yeah. in, a, in a startup, product management is a catch-all. So basically, whatever your sales guys are not doing, whatever your CEO is not doing, whatever your marketing, engineering guys are not doing, 
not doing the product guy is the catch-all mm. which really means that um, he doesn't get any credit uh, it doesn't, it's not like he doesn't get any credit he gets credit um, but he's not in one particular function it's the UK it's very hard to write a job description for a, for, for product management mm -hmm. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, it's a very satisfying job because you get every day is different. You get a different challenge every day. It's not it's it's uh, it's it's broad rather than than, than deep. Mm -hmm. But a certain amount, especially when I uh, when a startup is new, etc., and when there is very few when there are very few product people, etc., you the head of product obviously needs to be able to go deep as well as go go mm -hmm. go broad and that's you know because in i've been yeah in a startup and mm -hmm. and uh, i find myself to be lucky enough to be able to do that yeah awesome so you come from the uh, technology background in nasa and then you moved uh, into con business consulting and now you're exploring the startup domain and you say you uh, have a lot of lessons to carry with you yeah so one lesson you shared was that a product guy you know better not be the smartest person in the room uh, i love uh, facilitate conversations i want to harp a little bit on that uh, what are a few ways to facilitate conversations across groups or across teams what yeah. has worked for you so far yeah one thing that has uh, worked for me is to focus on the common outcome uh, so whenever two people let's say have a discussion or an argument or whatever it is uh, there is it's always like a like an iceberg there's always you see the tip above the water but below below the water there's this big 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 other chunk it's always useful to know where the other person is coming from mm. and whenever you get into a discussion you may not always know that yes. this is the reason why it's always good to uh, listen more than to than to, than to speak mm -hmm. speak more uh, and it's it's good to sort of observe and and understand and empathy plays a, a long, you know, goes a long way in understanding mm -hmm. where the other person is coming from. Mm -hmm. Because when the other person is coming from, um, uh, then you can figure out what he really wants. Mm -hmm. And there's various books written about this subject. You know, Cialdini wrote this book on influence. Yes. Uh, uh, and so, yeah. so when you know what that person wants, and now suddenly you know what you want, mm -hmm. you focus on the common outcome. And when, when you focus on the common outcome, you can usually usually resolve it in a, a very nice manner, and then you also build lifelong relationships. So if you, it's really being able to understand the other person, focusing on the relationship, mm -hmm. uh, and everyone wants to feel valued at, yes. the, at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah. I, I found this to be one useful lesson for me. Yeah. Yeah, common outcome seems to be uh, not only productivity wise, yeah. but also the the human dynamics wise. It's a very good strategy. To f focus on that and you say listening is a great way listening and understanding the other person's perspective right do you use any tools uh, to understand uh, the other person or framework for example in uh, design thinking they have customer interviews that way you um, you know have a nice break or understand and then you talk about your product all the way in the end like that is there something you uh, use yourself which has worked for you yeah so um, uh, I focus I tend to focus more on the intangibles uh, in fact there are various surveys on this matter uh, it turns out that what people really want uh, have more to do with uh, personal reasons rather than professional reasons mm -hmm. uh, like for example uh, you know software engineers it's you know people have always thought oh software engineers are greedy they're going to go to whoever is offering them the most amount of work etc mm -hmm. but you know if you have you know if you go read surveys that actually is the opposite which is um, they actually want to feel valued mm -hmm. uh, rather than you know yep. they want to get praise they want, they to, want feel to feel valued valued. Mm -hmm. valued they want to see a career in front of them mm -hmm. they don't want to hit a ceiling mm -hmm. um, 
and then so if you can work on so if you can actually um, create a structure that gives them those incentives, incentives. and you, you, you also establish a bit of a culture that mm -hmm. actually um, empowers those guys to be able to get get the things that they really want uh, you will actually be more effective than than anything else uh, with business guys it's more okay you go out you know it, I, I don't advocate this but you know people go out drinking or they they socialize, just hang out just to social, socialize socialize more uh, so what and and that's the that that's the dynamic on the business side on the on the engineering side uh, with engineers I just mentioned what it is but for people who actually become very senior engineers for them uh, I wouldn't say that they become dogma dogmatic with, mm -hmm. with time uh, but what they do get opinionated so for them what really matters is that they feel like they're in control mm -hmm. uh, they're, what that means is they're what that really means is they are setting the architecture, they are driving the direction of the technology. Which is, which is fine. Which is really that, that, that they see themselves along the CTO path mm -hmm. and then so you've got to offer them that. If you don't do that, mm -hmm. you're going to lose them, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really those things that, that work. Mm -hmm. As a product person, do you really get to influence an engineer's career in terms of incentives? As a oh, ton of, oh, you well, can, you can. in my last job at AI, I actually started off as, as VP of product and also acting VP of software. Wow. So I had to hire a bunch of people. Um, so there I was interviewed, I was, I was interacting directly with the uh, software engineers. engineers. So again, I use a software technique, which is um, the product person also has to be fairly technical. So the mm. product person, remember, has two bosses. One is... Um, one is probably the 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 CEO if he's acting as the CTO, and the other is a bit. Essentially, there's a technical side and there's a business side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on the technical side, showing that you are one of the engineers, almost sort of you're out there in the trenches, you're you're leading by example, you're solving problems with them, um, and if they stay back a late night, you stay back a, a late mm -hmm. night as well. Mm -hmm. So just being out there with them um, really matters, and then that 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 drives a, a good message. Cross, yeah. Awesome, awesome. This is a great perspective. It's you're looking at the personal aspect. Yeah. This is very outside what you learn in B school and yes. uh, all the rigorous training you receive. You don't get taught any of these things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how do you tie in all the knowledge you acquired in the B school? Uh, you seem to be pretty people centric. Uh, of course, you're heading product. Uh, so how do you tie that or those frameworks in your uh, interpersonal? interactions if you can give an example that would be really nice you know 400 years ago newton had the saying saying you know whatever i've seen i've seen by standing on the shoulders of giants etc right, right. so whatever you learn in b school should be really seen as 101 which is the absolute basics mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. your um the point that i made to you the other day which is we are um you need to you need to know frameworks and but you need to put them in the, uh, uh, the you know just move them to the back of your mind don't move them to the front of your mind because don't move them to the you, front. You, you, the frameworks help you in an in an um, uh, they don't help you in an overt way they help you in a in a hidden way in a latent way i don't know what the opposite of yeah 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 is. i know i know but they, uh, they're out there they're like the uh, lay of the land you they, start there but then you don't know how your right, journey is so going to be the, uh, why you know because i'm a um, i'm a trained strategist as well and they really grilled it into into me in management consulting like when I look at a problem, any given problem, it's always good to start off with a framework, framework because yeah. that helps you sort of, okay, map it out, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, the simplest framework I can tell you is I walk into any given situation, 
what's the absolute simplest framework that I could use, you know, given any problem. I don't even, I don't even know what the problem is, but, but I need some way to guide, guide the answer. I would say that the simplest framework is look where we are today and where we need to be and then figure out what the difference is hmm. and that, that's what you normally call as a gap analysis as a gap analysis mm -hmm. but what do you do with the gaps mm -hmm. right and then mm -hmm. so the, the important thing is is how do I translate those gaps that I've just learned into just break those down into subtasks mm -hmm. and figure out what the resourcing is going to be needed in order to close those close mm -hmm. those gaps mm -hmm. put a timeline against it and suddenly you have an effective uh, execution plan right mm -hmm. this is the simplest thing you don't have yeah, to know, I like that. you don't even have to know the problem you don't have to do anything right but in order for you to frame where we are today, uh, uh, you have to cut the management BS. You, mm -hmm. you know, you need to be and and you know, I, I this is the reason why I really like interacting with sales guys. Right? Mm -hmm. They come to me and say, "Hey, Arvind, what do you have to sell today?" Cut the BS. I don't. You know, uh, Arvind, I don't care what the brochures say. I don't care what the management, the the marketing literature says, etc. If I'm going to a, a customer today, what is it that I'm selling today? And you know, just mm -hmm. just you know make it real simple for me and and then the next step is what is it that i get today what do i get in six months 12 months two years mm -hmm. if i can articulate that voila i've got a roadmap yeah mm -hmm. and so so what i this is so when uh, when a product person puts himself in front of a salesperson being able to crisply articulate what the roadmap is 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 seen as very valuable but now what what i have to do on the other side with the engineering guys is saying hey guys you know, I've told the sales guy. I've told the sales guy. This is what I'm doing in six months, twelve months, uh, twenty-four months. I know it's not going to happen, but I've told it. Told it to him. Now let's run like hell and make mm -hmm. figure out how to how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And and then there's the horse trading that begins. So mm -hmm. product really has to wear the the, the 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 you know they they really have to operate along both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so does this sort of answer the yeah, question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, have? you right. gave an example of a very basic framework. We are here today uh, because uh, I came to you for some guidance for my second book, The Solution Book. And we started off a very interesting conversation about uh, frameworks and uh, who better can I talk to other than VP uh, <laughs> of Product and from MIT Sloan, you've been at NASA. So what do you think about frameworks and what are a few frameworks you recommend? Frameworks are great as a starting point for solving mm -hmm. most problems. They never give you the answer. Mm -hmm. They just help you frame the problem in the right way. And framing a problem in the right way is important because if you don't frame it right, mm. you're going to miss the art of the possible. You're just not going to see certain dimensions. Mm -hmm. And so now your problem your problem solving is, is heavily compromised. Mm -hmm. Some of the frameworks that, that I use quite often, even at work, um, certainly anything to do with product, I always remind myself of the four P's and five C's. They're very, uh, very, it's very, do you want to, uh, product, uh, price, place, promotion, awesome. and then company competition, channels, you can, you can look it up. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a very, uh, it's a very standard marketing, uh, marketing framework. But what this tells me is not the answer, but what it tells me is the dimensions of the problem to sort of frame properly. Dimensions of the problem to, to frame. To frame properly. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, I'm, um, I've been advising various companies, one of one of which is this VR startup that mm -hmm. I'd rather not talk about. But mm -hmm. I can tell you that, for example, um, you know, recently I was uh, I was conducting a workshop with the CEO, 
and you know he had all these thoughts in his mind and he needed some way to collect collect all of them together and i said look um, what you're trying to do is 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 you're trying to improve your channels you're trying to reduce friction for in your sale uh, um, and in in parallel you're trying to improve your value proposition so you can sell against the, the competition and in parallel along the product uh, on the product side you're trying to tap into the power of data so that you uh, you can figure out how to monetize monetize that piece and you're also keeping an eye out on future regulations um, that might uh, that, that might actually help your monetization strategies and then along the so that was product and then along the price price axis it was it's really the other side of price is cost mm -hmm. and so for him since it's a vr device and it was very important for him to figure out how to reduce the cost so that he can get the user base out, yeah. out and yeah. going but it was also very important for him to exit the hardware game and get into software so that uh, he could drive stronger revenue so this is just mm -hmm. a simple way of, of of framing the problem and just putting it out there the four P's and five, five C's, five C's mm, correct. Mm, mm, uh, the, the, the second one that I like a lot uh, is, uh, is the ANSOF matrix. ANSOF matrix. Mm. Yeah, so uh, this is about, okay, do you, you have your current product, do you, do you extend the product or do you take it out to new markets and there are different strategies for every, every quadrant of the two by four, mm -hmm. of the two by two uh, mm -hmm. in the ANSOF matrix. So mm -hmm. that's, a, that's one that I like a lot. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to M and A due diligence, um, you know I tend to, uh, you know I have my own framework, and but there are some common sense ones that that basically take you from okay, what's the problem that uh, I, when I look at any given startup, I ask myself this one question, which is, uh, are they a hammer looking for a nail, or are they do they is there a very is there a good product market fit? Mm -hmm. um, because uh, yeah, there are a lot of startups out there and a lot of great ideas. There's no really no shortage of ideas, but what what is in shortage is product market fit. Mm -hmm. uh, so given that, then I ask myself, is it the right price? Mm -hmm. uh, then what is the what does the due diligence look like? And mm -hmm. and if everything looks good, then what are the exit strategies uh, mm -hmm. for? For the startup, right? Do they, you know, are they too expensive to be purchased? In which mm -hmm. case, okay, then the then they're looking at an IPO, or are they pretty well priced? Uh, you know, uh, relative to the rest of the market, so on and so forth. How? What are the competitive dynamics driving the mm -hmm. you know, driving that market, etc. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other tool that I uh, used heavily in corporate strategy when I was advising different business lines is uh, is the is the BCG matrix. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I like that matrix is because um, because there is you know if you look at the BCG matrix and the two by two in it, uh, there is one quadrant that actually says a dog. Okay, so yes, yes. so unless you can look at your portfolio of businesses and identify exactly which one is your dog, yeah, yeah. you will never be able to kill anything. Right, mm -hmm. being able to kill anything, mm -hmm. being able to say no to ideas mm -hmm. is what distinguishes very good. Uh, very good companies from not so good companies. Mm -hmm. uh, so being able to identify which ones are your true stars, which ones are your true question marks, where you know cash cows are, the, are usually the easiest to identify yeah. because it's, it's yeah. very comforting. It, right. we, we know what's doing well, what's not sure. doing well. Mm -hmm. But being able to identify what else is is out there that it's, should be it's very popular. Which is very popular. Yeah, so. and you can apply it even uh, in your own home for where you're investing your funds on. 
Absolutely. You know, uh, where you invest your time and resources, your day job, which is stable. Yeah. You know, whether your husband's job or your job, <laughs> that's the cash cow. You know, it happens, the money comes in and it's stable. What do you want to do with your next idea? You know? And I think that's a great way of looking at it because uh, frameworks are equally applicable in your life as Personal well. Personal life as well. Personally, I have never separated my professional <laughs> life from professional life. Because, it, yeah. I don't think that separation exists in the Silicon Valley, uh, <laughs> especially if you're with startups. Uh, yeah. Maybe in larger companies it does, but sure. in startups, hey, you know, we, we all have kids, we all have families. But when you're working, you're working. When you're, then, but then there's also a gray area where you know I was holding my infant in one hand and I was I was doing this job interview in the other. It, all of these are very very common. Sure. Uh, and in these, it, it helps to have clarity of thought, and clarity of thought frameworks are, are fantastic. In fact, uh, what mm -hmm. you point out is also useful along another dimension, which mm -hmm. is, which is people like me uh, are are you know we get good at, at at work and you know we do all these all this really cool stuff. But then my wife asked me, hey, you know, how come you're not applying any of that at home here? Which is, <laughs> so, so before this whole thing about mindfulness came up, mm -hmm. so there was these, these, uh, these free frameworks. So you could be equally effective in applying these at home as well. Yeah. Sure. I like that. It's like a safety net, you know. Safe and it's net. like, uh, uh, you know, stepping stones and stumbling boulders. Innovation is among stumbling boulders. Like it's innovation is chaotic. So there are so many forces we cannot control. But this framework gives us a safe spot to stand on and you know start thinking of course we, yes, we, exactly. we have to be open to the organic nature of problem solving and innovation but um, yeah yeah and you know as you know I, I tend to be one of the you know one of the most prolific users of frameworks but at the same time I'm also a critic because people tend to overuse them but I'll sure. tell you one place where frameworks are, are especially useful that people don't understand or realize. Mm. When you look at how, uh, I've also been a critic of how management uh, practices are used in mm -hmm. companies, companies, because mm -hmm. if you look at what's being taught in business schools today, mm. a lot of that theory is really divorced from practice mm -hmm. because a lot of the business school professors, um, they get, you know, they, they, they get these consulting engagements from the industry where they say, hey, you know, they can, where they can just parachute into a given situation and look at it from a high level, prescribe a framework and then get away. They, you know, they don't have to live with the, consequ with the consequences, consequences of, of implementing their, their thing. So, which is why they have a way out. Uh, yes. <laughs> whereas we are practitioners in the industry yes. and if we actually implement something, then we have yeah. to live with the consequences yes. of, yeah. of what we have. But where frameworks are, are really useful is if you're a leader, mm -hmm. uh, being a leader is a very lonely job. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be very lonely uh, mm -hmm. because sometimes you have to tread a given path by yourself. Right. And when you are in those situations, when you don't know anything uh, and you're just not sure what to do, the best thing that you have is a framework. Has this been done before? Mm -hmm. Have people applied a technique to solve this problem before? Mm -hmm. And then, so having that repository or arsenal of uh, of tips and techniques and, and tools and frameworks is very, very useful. And this is especially useful in this age where a lot of decisions are emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, there, people use yes. gut feel. Yes. Yes. And and I would argue that gut feel, sixth sense, intuition plays a very powerful role in in management decision making. Yeah. But it should not be done um, uh, done without frameworks or without data in yeah. mind. People tend to work without data, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So frameworks help you take the emotion out of the picture once right. in a while, and and that's the reason why I'm a fan as well. So awesome. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a great perspective on frameworks. You know. Um, 
nine out of ten startups fail and they are working on problems and trying to find solutions from scratch and these problems they are uh, framing them emotionally and they're not they don't have a framework to look for solutions so I just I mean I was thinking how do you advise these startups you know like these are fresh out of college they don't understand what's there in B school and what do those people do yeah and look I think um, oh yeah so I, I'm gonna answer answer the question but if you look at how the your data on nine that the nine out of ten startups fail right some of you know um, it's people it, issues it's, it's people it's people issues but the, I think the biggest one is you know, is product market market fit. market fit and not having the right team. Exactly. Uh, I think that's fine, but if you look at big um, big VCs that fund, you know, the tier one VCs starting from Anderson, Kleiner, Perkins, Sequoia, you right. know, Benchmark, all of those guys. So they tend to fund the startups that have solved the first two or three problems. Even they don't have immaculate records. If you look at a tier one, uh, you know, if they pick, they fund ten companies. How many of those truly make it? Mm. They may have one home run and maybe three, uh, three that are that produce a pretty good return on investment, but not perfect or not uh, not per expectations. But then you've got the other six that are still mm. failing, mm. or mm. right. Mm. So there's no way around this. So what I my argument is that if you use if you use common sense, uh, good techniques, and all of that. You can increase the odds of success. Mm, odds of success. You, yeah. you, you will never. There, there's no. There's no guarantees, right? Yeah. Otherwise, so, everyone's going to go buy your book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so this. Um, yeah. You know, on that thought. So you're giving the VC perspective. Yeah. But the founder perspective. You know, how do how do you get founders to use these? It's a. I think it's a very great, hard. It's a great question. Uh, because they don't know what's out there. They don't know they need them. But when, when they use it, it really works in their favor. The kind of founder that is going to find this the most useful is one that has a learning mindset. Mm. Not all founders have a learning mindset. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would, you know, if you read, um, uh, if you, uh, what's the, what's the famous, uh, the, the lean startup, lean startup, the lean startup, startup book, Eric Reese's lean startup. He argues that organizations should be fundamentally learning organizations mm -hmm. because the day you feel that your product cannot be improved anymore mm. and you have the world's best product and right. and because you're building all of this cool technology the whole world is going to come to you <laughs> that's the that's the, the beginning of the, the end, end and the, the beginning end. of the end and so whereas i've seen other startups and you know shy shy maximov who i'm going to be working for in my new company he's 28 years old and wow. he's forms 30 under 30 and he's already exited twice He's a great example. Great example of someone who, Learning. first of all, he admits that he's not the not the smartest guy in the room, uh, and he also admits that that the, the idea that he has is one amongst many. But he is saying, you know, what he's saying is, is is I'm more of a connector. Mm. I'm more of a learner. Mm. I'm more of a okay. So I've got certain goals. I'm going to run do this in a in a certain way. But I'm going to be a humble about it. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to learn whatever I you know. That. I'm going to yeah. learn. I'm going yeah. to. In fact, uh, he's um, he's uh, he's going to be shipping out uh, Kindles to every single employee. Wow. Because he you know we are going to make to everyone yeah, go yeah. go learn. Yeah, yeah. So the the kind of founder who is constantly learning and and is has has admitted. Uh, the fact that he doesn't know everything and then that that there are good best practices out there that that can that can help solve problems those are the people you want to go after i love that uh, that's a that's a great thought so on on that note 
I'd really like to th thank you so much for your wonderful advice. Nobody could have uh, taken me uh, through the details like you did. Oh. You uh, you came from uh, the, the NASA perspective, the engineer's perspective, you took us to the VC perspective, the large corporation perspective, and now we bound up with the startup and the founder perspective. Uh, you, you talked about engineers, product managers, sales guys, and oh my god, I couldn't have wished for a better interview. Thank you so much, Arvind. It thank was you, uh, a pleasure and honor. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored to be on.